Hello, 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 everyone. This is Nick Zatuni, Head of Operations from Coded Minds. And I'm Kira McRitchie, an ice team specialist at Coded Minds. There we go. So, Kira, uh, I wanted to do this for the longest time here because, uh, as some of the listeners might know, I'm a biologist and I know that you also have a lot of biology background. And uh, I taught biology back in Brazil for eight years. And, and my passion for biology grew like exponentially over the years, right? But uh, ever since I came to Canada to do my master's in medical science, I, I left kind of biology behind. And then when I started working in coded minds again, I tried to bring it a little bit in my educational pieces. And now as a head of operations, I barely talk about biology. So having you here on uh, the podcast and on the team, it is a great opportunity for me to talk about biology again. And <laughs> this is the team of the podcast today, friends. We are going to be talking about our likes and dislikes in the biology world. I don't know if you know, but when we talk about biology here in Canada from my learnings, biology is very much about the plants and the animals and the environments. Am I right, Kira? Yeah. So when I was specializing in biology, I basically had, I want to say like five or so options. And we had zoology, which is animals, plant biology, cellular and molecular biology, ecology, and then I think just general. So they kind of fall into those streams. Sure. There we go. And it's funny because that's the reason why I brought it in here, because when we talk about biology back home, a biologist as a professional, it's a generalist. Uh, the all the coursework that whatever biologists will take, it's so broad. It nibbles in so many different areas from, as you said, like molecular biology to ecology to embryology to histology that biologists, they can be hired to work in medical labs, for example. They can be hired to work in zoos. They can be hired to work in museums. They can be doing like archaeologist job. They can be doing like a, a botanist, like even an agricultural uh, person can be replaced by a biologist back home. Of course, that doesn't happen. Usually people hire people from that specific expertise. But when you have big companies or uh, even government you know, institutions where they have the need of bringing that person with a more of a diverse background, usually that's when the biologist jumps in. And that's what always made me extremely happy about being a biologist is that even though I'm just working as a teacher or as a researcher or as, as a zoologist or whatever, my knowledge always allowed me to nibble in the most diverse areas to the point, and don't do that this at home, kids, that I already out-diagnostic, uh, diagnosted. Anyway, I made diagnostics right compared to a friend of mine, doctor, who was actually making wrong diagnostics. Just because I had that understanding of, uh, again, the biochemistry of blood and my medical friend, doctor, he was focusing more on the disease rather than the blood itself. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really important, you know, when I went into biology, I kind of had a base understanding of the different streams in high school. And I think, you know, you learn so much about the basic forms of human life or, you know, any life for that matter on earth. And you really work up from, you know, the smallest of cells and keep growing and growing and growing. And eventually you start learning about you know, full organisms and plants and stuff. And so I think 
like you said, some people who more go into the medical field or different fields that focus on the broader aspects of life sciences or health tend to focus maybe more on the the bigger topics like disease or viruses, stuff like that. And they kind of can forget about the base level interactions in a body or in an environment or in an ecosystem and understanding how those small systems work and build upon each other really gives you like this amazing understanding and knowledge of just how things work. It's so fun that you mentioned that uh, this variety allows us to like biologists has been talking about exposure for the longest time, right? And uh, in Brazil, for example, when I was still in the middle of my career as a teacher, doctors there were starting to talk about all the effects that the environment would have, you know, in our in our health. And then when I came here to do my master's in Canada, it was all about environmental toxicology, a field that was already being developed and trying to understand what are the factors, the exposure, the chemicals, viruses, whatever is out there that can actually play a role in our body, in our biology, right? So it's it's very impressive that this, this broad spectrum allows us to see from so far out of the issues that we can start connecting dots that people on their career, on their day-to-day uh, routine, can even phantom to see those factors, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I'm more of an ecologist by study. And so, like you're saying, there's there's so many interactions around us and, you know, understanding the cellular molecular biology or the plant biology and how those systems work is really important. But, you know, I look at the world as we're all in an ecosystem and our ecosystems can change day to day and they can be, you know, small as your home and then out into you know, your workplace and then the world and the city you live in and knowing about air toxins or pollutants or what's in your food and how that interacts. Like it all comes down to what interacts with your biology. And so understanding both the larger systems of play, as well as how that actually affects you can be really important. And I think biology, you know, as a discipline is really important, but it's also a really important, you know, tool for people to have. It it gave me a lot of power, like you were talking about, about understanding my body, understanding what I'm eating, about how, you know, going out into the environment affects me, how I'm feeling that day. And so I was given that power to just not have to put my faith completely in the hands of other people. Obviously, other people know more than I do, but having that ability to understand those systems and to understand what's going on for you personally, I think is a really great tool for people to have as well. Yep. Let's, let's bring that as an example in our personal life. Cause I bet you have some too. I'll give an example again, most people. And again, it's okay. Uh, if anything happens in your body, like a fever, for example, if that happens, then people are like, Oh, I'm feeling bad. Bad is not good. I should, you know, do something about it. I, I should take some kind of a pill of a medicine because my normal, my homeostasis, as we both know, right, Kira, it's just to stay again with, neutral feelings, not bad feelings like pain or discomfort or not, you know, super happy or excitement, which is fine. But uh, every time I would get sick, let's just say from a fever or from a flu, I wouldn't be those people like a lot of my friends, to be honest, I think I was the only weirdo who would do that. I would test my body to the limits, Kira. Just because I understand that like, oh, if I get to that specific temperature of like 38, 39 degrees, things might start to get a little too bad for me because high temperatures will destroy the proteins inside of my body. But 
I would allow myself to get into like a high fever and to read my body and my biological reactions to the point that I would understand my fever, I would understand my limits, and I use that in my benefit. I rarely had to call in sick in work just because I knew my limits. But for example, just because I know that a flu can be contagious, I would understand even before COVID as we're living right now, that covering when you sneeze or cough would actually prevent me from spreading all those viruses that it's actually infesting my lungs in that moment. And again, those are just snippets of knowledge that you learn in one class during all your coursework that actually can make a difference in giving you that power to make decisions that people are not even aware of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for me personally, I've dealt with chronic pain for three years and, and you know, at the beginning out of it, it was all new, but for me, I would, you know, go to doctors and talk to them and see what their assessment was, but pain is such an individualized experience and you know what's going on in your body. And for me, after taking some anatomy courses, as well as just understanding the body as a whole, I knew what was going on more than they did. And as much as they told me, you know, do this or do that, or do these exercises, I would try them, but then I would be in a place of like, this isn't working and I'm feeling worse than I did before, but these people are telling me that this is what I should be doing. And you'd have moments of questioning that, but because I had a a basic understanding of my body, I was able to kind of ask the questions about why isn't it working? Why is my pain this bad? Why do I feel this way? Like what will help? What does help? And then I created my own treatment plan that actually really helped me a lot. And I think, like you said, understanding your own body and your own limits is, is a really important tool because you can go to doctors or professionals or talk to other people and they can give you their own perspective. But at the end of the day, a good professional or doctor will tell you that it's also your body and you have to be in tune with what's happening. And I think that's really important for anybody, even if you're not in biology, but having even a couple courses on it can really help you understand, you know, what's going on and what somebody's telling you and if it might not be right for you and making those choices for you as well. And let's, let's tone it down all the way to the minimum level of life that we have that we, I, unless you want to go all crazy, Richard Dawkins and uh, his theory that DNA is the, the most basic uh, living being ever. I forgot he had uh, the replicators. There we go. He called it the replicators in his book. Uh, but we, we can talk about the cell as the minimal individual life unit, right? And uh, a lot of people don't realize that here, especially when I was teaching biology back in the day, that we are made of trillions and trillions of cells right? So just because we're made of all those small units, in a way, we are a reflection of what's happening into each individual cell. And all our body functions nowadays, they are also a reflection of those cells. For example, why do we need to eat? The very first thing that a lot of people say is like, oh, because we need energy, right? But it's not because we, as a whole, we need energy. It's because each individual cell inside of our body will need energy, will need chemicals to start building things in order to allow this big unit to work. 
If you are feeling sick or if you are in pain, it's because there is some event in that specific cellular level in the skin cell or in a muscle cell or in one of bone cell that is not as it should be. Again, the normal is homeostasis, right? So there's something that is breaking the homeostasis there. And just because this is happening in such a, a large space, let's put it that way, it will become significant for your body to recognize that there is something wrong there. But what is that? And again, we don't know. And that's when we bring doctors, of course, in. But as you said, having that understanding actually helps you to not only make it better informed decisions, but also to have that power of like, oh, maybe the pain is, you know, I'm feeling the pain more in the out because it's a muscular pain rather than a bone pain that would be more internalized than anything else, right? So I love making those parallels between what does a cell feels and do and then extrapolate that to the human being because then you work in the basic level and in the, the human organism kind of a level. Yeah, and I think it, it's funny too because there's that saying, you know, treat your body as a temple or my body as a temple and people think of that more as, themselves but i think the real meaning of that is you know treat every single part of you as a temple everything is important you know it's not just what you're feeling but as well as you know those inner workings and what those feelings mean and the you know keep going down levels because all of those components are a part of you and they're all important and understanding their functions and their needs as cells can then translate into you know what you're actually feeling and understanding that you know, there's a, usually a reason for everything and it can just take, sometimes the reasoning is, is right at the surface level. Sometimes, you know, you have a fever and you're sick and, you know, it's an easy correlation. Other times you can have a fever and you're sick, but you don't know what you're sick from, or you don't know how, you know, your body is responding and you kind of have to distill it a bit more. And I think that's where a lot of the complexity comes from, but at least, you know, biology teaches us how to kind of see those relationships and understand those inner workings and understand your cells and your body and how everything, you know, starts from little cells and grows and grows and, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and then it's you and everything works together. Yep. Yep. Now let's go a little on the far side. We talk about the cells and everything else. So I'm going to make a comparison here. That's something that uh, one of my professors back in university actually hinted one way and then I created this whole world about it, right? So we, of course, there's a lot of different areas of science and there's people exploring the depths of the oceans and people exploring, you know, like the, the hyperspace out there. But it's, it's very funny how we always have this concept of aliens, right? That there are people, different people with different genetics, different biology, etc. that are out there, while we don't even fully understand every species that we have in here. And that's when I bring the idea, and again, that's just me and my whole kind of a craziness, is that, okay, so we are looking for aliens because we're going to find things that are different than us. But have you ever looked or studied how a bee works and how different a bee is from us as human beings? Oh, but bees are here. They're part of, you know, uh, we are. They have the same biology. They have the same DNA. Yes, but the amount of differences in terms of physiology, in terms of behavior, in terms of how they work. It's so different. But if you're going to bring down to the base level, they are so similar than humans that it's, it's hard not to make that comparison. 
And one example that I want to give to that too, just to you know, connect all those pieces together is a lot of people that I met in my life, they look, oh, it's a cat, like a black cat passes by. And then they look at another cat that's like, oh, it's the same black cat. And then I look at this like, no, no, it's not the same. But like, look, it's black. So like, yeah, but did you notice the size of the tail? Like the the like the space between the eyes, the shades between the, the the fur and overall. So those minimum differences that me, I was only able to see and even question to give me that knowledge just because of that biology uh, background, right? A lot of people, they understand that everything in their minds, they don't know those facts, of course, but we evolve our brain to notice, recognize, and care for things that are similar to us, namely humans. But if you understand that your brain is so focused in that specific part, you can actually train your brain to understand more what is different than you. Like how can two black cats be different, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think asking those questions is a big part too for me when I was learning ecology. And, you know, you're talking about the bee and you learn how you share like, 90 plus percent of your DNA with a lot of different organisms that are completely different to you. Um, as much as like, you know, the base level might be similar. It's the, you know, the function of their lives, how they've developed and how they've evolved. And maybe you started out similar, but they went on to be in different environments or have to, you know, work in different roles and have different functions. And I think for me, what what really helped me see those differences was learning about like Darwin's finches and the different beak types and stuff and how, you know, they might've started on the same area, but then they grew apart and they had different niches and they were eating different foods and, you know, they might've looked similar, but now their beaks differ in different ways. And just being able to kind of ask those questions and see differently. And, you know, if you can train your brain, like you said, to see those differences and then ask those questions and understand that, you know, we're products of an environment as well. You know, oh, something yeah. might look similar to you, but if it grew up in a completely different environment, then, you know, you end up with different forms and different functions. And like you were saying about aliens and stuff, and I think understanding how the species on our planet evolved for our environment and the functions that is needed here can really help extrapolate too. And it was always funny to me before I really started in biology, the image in my head of aliens was always what the movies gave. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, people are these kind of lifelike human-like forms. And then the more I studied biology, the more I was like, well, it could just be like a small microorganism and that's, that's life. So I think it's, it's a, it's really interesting and amazing to just see all these different forms of life and the complexities to them and how, you know, how varied it can be. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about photosynthesis, for example. Let's just compare we as consumers, right, and all the, the photosynthetic organisms as producers, right? How do we obtain our energy? We need to eat, period. Doesn't matter what. But an like a plant has chlorophyll, and chlorophyll allows the plant to get light mixed with air and create its own food. And it's really funny because every time I try to do the comparison to people, people are just like, wow. So we are literally killing other life forms to get our sustenance, right? But we are, again, we're killing something that is organic. The plants kill, absorb, use, transform, destroy inorganic forms 
chemicals that don't have carbon in it, right? Well, they do, but that's they're not organic. And then they make their energy like that. And then you think, yeah, but plants are all over the place and, you know, they're very similar. What about the bacteria that basically eat sulfur, right? They get sulfuric chemicals that are hard as hell to the grave and they can get energy out of that. And they are like one specific group of species in volcanoes and whatnot. And they're completely different in everything that we have seen. Aren't they aliens? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it, the, the diversity, once you start understanding that uh, in biology, there is diversity and diversity is important, you can start expanding your mind in a way, at least work for me, right? Where you start being much more accepting of what is different out there because what is different can coexist with what is the pattern because they both work. Yeah, I think that's that's really important too, and and understanding that we all come from certain basic needs and you know functions in our lives as well as other things. Like we're not really all that different, and I think it brings a new level of of respect for the natural world as well as understanding that you know something like a bee that might seem so foreign and just like a bug to you that you wouldn't even give a second look at. Like it still has this like similar needs to us. It needs to eat, gain energy. It needs to reproduce. Like, I think it's, you know, for me, I always loved animals when I was little and it was a part of the reason I wanted to go into biology, but then also understanding that we're so similar in aspects that we might see as so different, you know, really helped me to just appreciate nature. And every time I was out in it, you can appreciate, you know, the grass and the weeds and the functions that they provide other things. And, everything around you then becomes, you know, so much more interesting and inspiring to, to be in. And you have this kind of newfound appreciation for things that you would have passed by beforehand. True enough. Now let's talk about favorite areas. By far, I love evolution. I can spend hours talking about evolution and why it's so important in my life, but I'll let you start first. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, well, some of my favorite courses really were more looking at the ecology of individuals and populations. And I did some of my research in, in bees, which um, are kind of interesting because they're individuals that are a part of an individual is how I like to look at them, where yeah. bees don't serve themselves. They serve the hive, which in itself is really the organism. And so I really like you know, looking at those interactions as well within the population, as well as looking at how that population interacts with its environment, what the function is, how it, the interplay between other systems and other organisms within that, and the importance of those things for that population and the dynamics between it. And so I did a lot of work in there and modeling became one of my favorite things to model Ooh, projections nice. and looking into, you know, different interactions and those models, as well as projecting what could happen to a population under certain environments and circumstances later on. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of like all of that and I find it all really interesting, especially with climate change and stuff. My focus kind of went into that is, you know, how changes and the global environment are impacting populations as well as how human and human animal interactions um, kind of are evolving. Yep. That's again, we all go back and I want to go back to as many times as I want, how everything is connected, right? It's if you are a biologist that really 
understand that, I think, you know, that's worth your diploma, your certificate, whatever it is, because yeah, it, it, as you said, we can look at bees as in the individual level as like one species, right? We can look at bees as a population, as in a hive, and you can call that as an organism. But if you want to go all the way in, we can talk about the, the cellular level and how each cell within the bee actually does pretty much the same thing that a bee does to its hive, right? It's yeah. it's it's beautiful to see this connectivity in all biology overall. So now I'm going to tell you why evolution is my favorite, uh, Kira. And I don't know if uh, some people out there might know that, but I feel, and I might be wrong, but that's my personal thing from all my learnings, that evolution is the only area of knowledge that is 100% from biology. If you're going to talk about molecular biology, there's a lot of doctors, there's a lot of bio doctors, there's a lot of nurses that I can learn and use from that, right? If you're going to talk about uh, like a, zoology or botany again there's agricultures there's zoologists there's other areas that it can actually benefit from that specific knowledge or work genetics same thing right but i don't see any other area of knowledge using evolution as you know an, an extra tool there are a few exceptions every here and there but they are not again it, it, instead of just learning from that era and using that as the day-to-day some of those areas, they use evolution more as a side tool to help explain things from their own areas, like psychology. There is this new era called evolutionary psychology where they try to explain our behaviors through evolutionary pathways and justifying why we do what we do right now, right? And why I like evolution so much. Because first things first, even though Darwin was very boring as a person and very hard to handle. I don't know if any of you heard uh, read The Region of Species, but such a terrible book to read. I don't know if you read it here, did you? No, I avoided that. It's terrible. He writes like very, very bad. But anyway, uh, Darwin, at least he was fortuitous, I would say, to have noticed something that a lot of people might have noticed in their regular life, but they never really tried to describe it. That is, we, as life forms, we lean towards the pattern. And who creates that pattern? The environment. So Darwin made this idea where there is this constant competition, if you want, or interaction between life and the environment. I'll give you an example, and that's one of my favorite examples that has nothing to do with the giraffe and the, 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 the neck size, right? But let's just talk about jaguars, for example. In an environment that has a lot of leaves, that the sun barely penetrates the, the tree line, what would be more advantageous to have as a fur collar? A golden collar, like our jaguars right here, or a black fur like the panthers? Most likely the black collar is the panthers, right? Especially for a night uh, hunt. So that's when you bring the idea that if the environment is asking for something that is, again, better, it means that the environment will dictate a rule. And all the living creatures that are on that environment, they will succeed if they fall under the rule or they will fail if they don't fall under the rule, right? And that can be applied to everything. Let's talk about fashion. 
right? What is fashionable nowadays? Whatever meets that standard of that environment that is our cultural environment, right? Oh, let's talk about, I don't know, food. What's trending on the food you know, world nowadays? Whatever that environment is pushing. And that's why we have a lot of those influencers nowadays kind of dictating the rules and then everybody follows. And whomever is not in accordance to those rules usually gets kicked out of that system. And that is pure evolution. That is purely Darwin's theory that can be applied to everything in life. That's why I like evolution so much. A lot of people ask me, Nick, give me an example of, you know, something. And I usually use evolution to create this idea of this is the pattern and this is where you stand in the pattern. And people look at me and it's like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> what do you think about that? I never heard a biologist share those, those thoughts with me on this regard. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, that's really interesting in, in ecology. We talk a lot about fitness of either an individual in a reproductive sense and, you know, you talking about kind of the environmental fitness of an individual. So their ability to meet the requirements of their environment. And if, you know, do they have that fitness to exceed and to survive and, you know, thrive in that environment and continue to reproduce and then become that standard or do they fall below? And then, you know, you have extinction or they just end up having to find another niche that they can survive in. And I think one of my favorite parts of that is I, I think the proper term is biomimicry or mimicry where we have the you know the one I see the most in the summer and I learned about it more when I worked with bees is we have these little things they kind of hover they're called surfid wasps or surfid flies Uh and they've got the same coloring as a wasp but if you watch them they're a lot smaller and they mostly just buzz and hover but they've developed that covering because they know that the wasps wasps in the environment are the predators and generally they don't have as you know many predators as other things and they'll kill bees and other things and so they've developed that same coloring because although they aren't a predator and they're mostly prey that coloring shows others that hey I'm a little I'm a scary wasp stay away from me and they've been able to survive for so long by taking on another trait of something that is super successful yep Two very good observations that I want to make sure here. First is a personal thing that a lot of people, I 100% agree with everything that you said and the words that you used. But if I don't go this next step, a lot of people might be understanding evolution as changing as you live, right? Uh, Just because of that classic image on shirts, right? Of we as a monkey and then out of the blue become a man. That gives an idea to most people that evolution happens in you know like in the moment out of the blue you have a small neck and then slowly your neck grows no that's lamarck different theory long ago people don't really believe in that but the idea of evolution is between amongst all the population that we are talking about right all the individuals in a specific system there are going to be individuals that will have the trait and individuals that will not have the trait the individuals that have the trait they're good they survive the individuals that don't have the trait, they tend to die. So the individuals that survive, they will reproduce more. Thus, those traits will be passed to the next generation and they become the trend, right? So in your case, talking about the, the, the fake wasps, right? There was a lot of different shapes and sizes from those uh, that species. And then the ones that look like wasps, they survived more. They 
thus reproduced more than they became the pattern. I like to, to quote that because even though all the words that you use are 100% true and they are 100% used in academia, right? They tend to give the wrong message for people who don't fully understand the process, right? And the second thing about that is how wasps and non-wasps can reflect things in the real world, right? I understand lying is not fun. No one should be lying. There's a lot of dire consequences about lying, but lies exist in our environment for such a long time that I cannot help but to wonder to understand that they have an adaptive value into our society as they have an adaptive value for the fake wasp that you just mentioned. And again, not saying that we should lie. We should not lie. Lies wrong. There are dire consequences as those wasps, right? The fake wasps. If they can't fake that they look like wasps, they're dead, period. Same as lies. If you're going to tell a lie and people discover bad consequences are in your <laughs> way. Right? Just to make sure, again, there's a comparison that that's that connection that I want to do, but I don't, I am not encouraged anyone to do anything bad here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What about your favorite overall part of biology, not like in an area of knowledge, but from everything that you experience, all the projects, all the things that you read about, what really made you passionate about biology? Hmm, that's a that's a tough one. I think, um, you know, I kind of developed more of a love for it as I went through my university degree, because at the beginning, you're kind of put through all of the different disciplines and you got to kind of start from the beginning and learn a bit of everything. And then you can slowly pick and choose what you like to be in. But I think for me, what really, you know, I'm like the biggest part that made me fall in love with it more was, was being able to research and do my own research. And it wasn't necessarily into specific things, but I think understanding, you know, the methodology of how to research and then being given the tools to just explore the topics that I was into at the time was really interesting and seeing other people's perspectives as well as being able to understand, you know, the topics based on what I'd learned on a kind of more basic perspective of like all the, you know, little fundamental components of biology and then being able to use that and understand a plethora of topics that were out there. And so now, you know, sometimes on my own free time, I like to just research and look at scholarly articles and find new and interesting things and just look at what's what's happening in the world. And I think because, like you said, we're always evolving on a, on a longer scale, but there's some shorter term scale things that happen. There's always things going on and always new things to learn about. And, you know, I think that's one of my favorite things about science as a whole and then specifically biology is just you can always learn and there's always things out there to find out and new cool things to look at so yep, yeah absolutely and that falls kind of in what is my favorite aspect of biology too i discovered that biology would be a great part of my life because uh, in my whole childhood right i was not very heard because I was, I never had anything interesting to share, truth be said. But then after I started learning biology and I made biology kind of my life, I would start sharing what I learned with friends and family. And people would look at me like, uh, this little boy is into <laughs> something here, right? So I, I got a voice from biology, but I only got that voice because I started understanding 
different aspects of life as a whole. And I had the tools to tell people why those things are important. And then out of the blue, I realized that, you know what, not only people are listening more to me, but I also have much more knowledge that I can play with in order to have more voice, right? So that's why I think biologist is great as being a uh, generalistic science, but that can happen for physics, that can happen for chemistry. I have a very good friend of mine who is actually a physicist, and oftentimes he starts telling me about the molecules and how they behave and why the molecules behave like this will actually influence more, you know, bonding or not like that. And then I, I can't stop to think that that actually is involved in our own growth and our mood and how our brains are going to liberate more hormones or not. Because whatever is happening on the physical level will influence the chemical level and the chemical level will influence the biological level in the end, right? So it's it's the knowledge, is the connectivity, is the understanding, is the, is the power that biology really gave to me and allowed me to start communicating that knowledge to people who sometimes never got the chance to enjoy biology as I did. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's very true. And and personally for me, you know, especially with the changes the world's going through and how, you know, we're encroaching more on other animals, environments and ecosystem, and there's more interplay between animals and humans. And um, I think it's really important, you know, to have that knowledge. And for me, that understanding, like you said, that power, when the pandemic really began, I felt like I, you know, understood more what was happening and was able to talk to people about it and sift through the misinformation and I think you know especially when science gets publicized to that point where it's in the media every day there's so so much misinformation you have to sift through and really being able to personally understand it and you know know how I could be safe and know how a virus works and know all of those things as well as talk to my family and friends and ensure that you know, they also had those tools to be able to watch the news and not be scared every morning or understand, you know, how they can protect themselves and other people as well as go about their lives and understand how, you know, what's happening in the world, I think is is really, really important. I'm so glad to know that I was not the only one that had to go through that. <laughs> Pandemic hit. Friends, family, everyone was desperate. And I was looking at the news and said, like, okay, I want to see how fast this virus is going to start replicating and how it's going to be the advanced of it. I want to see what type of symptoms is going to be causing, what's going to be the part of the population that's going to be more susceptible to it. And I had friends who are adults with good immune system that, you know, were fairly protected and they have the means, et cetera, who were desperate about a virus that chances are, even if they get infected with it, they would never even develop symptoms just because they had all the box checked of having a good bill of health. Right. So good. Good to know that I was not the only one here. You made my life today. Made my day. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think with that, you know, too, it's, it's important to understand your own immune system, but I think for me as well, it was important to understand that just because I was safe for the people I knew would be okay. That like you said, you know, diseases are infectious and they're communicable. And it's also important to know that even if you are going to be totally okay, like it's, you still need to understand how to protect other people and how to, you know, be that person to just because you're okay, doesn't mean, 
other people might be okay if they caught it from you. And that's a good tip for the anti-vaxxers out there and the herd immunity. I don't want to get to that because I know there's a lot of people who might be upset about it. But yeah, if I would say that if people would understand the basis of how a vaccine works and how herd immunity works, then we would have much less anti-vaxxers. Yeah. But we'll stop at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and with that, I think that's a good wrap. Uh, again, this conversation was literally just so we could share a little bit of our love about biology. And I, I think I will let you do your take-home message, but my take-home message is it doesn't matter what era of knowledge you are uh, studying, but if you try to, to go to it and learn from it as I did and Kira did in biology with that love, with that understanding of the broad without really uh, diminishing the minimum it actually gives you a wide range of things that you can work on with your base knowledge to the point that you can actually start understanding not only your area, but life as a whole and empower you with that knowledge to do more, to do better. Yeah, I think same same for me. It's it's really important in any discipline that you're in. It's you know you can learn the basics and the fundamentals of everything, but the power in science and in every field really is is that knowledge and also being able to share and and play off of other people's you know expertise as well. You can understand your fields as much as you can, but biology and every science field is also about understanding where your knowledge lacks and where, you know, you need to listen to other people and, you know, see how other people see the world, I think is really important. And, and that's why, you know, I love biology, but I also love science because of how interconnected things are, but also how collaborative it can be. And that's a wrap. Thank you very much for staying with us. Thank you for your amazing perspective on biology today, Kira. And this is Nixatuni. Over and out. Yep, thank you.